invite you to turn in your Bible this morning with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. Decided we're going to take our time a little bit and finish up 1 Peter uh, in our morning services. Uh, There's so much good truth here. uh, We're going to just feed on it and then we'll be picking up the psalm series in the evening. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Let's pick it up, verse 1, and we'll read through the first five verses and look at the first four. This is God's Word. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's ask his blessing on his word. God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is food for our soul, and I pray that it would be just that this morning, that we would hear our Lord speak to us and the Spirit apply these words to us, that we could be a church, Lord, that is being formed more and more according to your will. And so we ask your blessing for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. My sense this morning is, as uh, we read the text, and you saw the uh, title of the, uh, the message, you maybe have an outline there with you, that uh, these verses might not seem that uh, helpful or relevant to your circumstance this morning. Peter is talking about elders, and you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does that really have to do with me? I, I know some elders. I, uh, I believe in the idea of elders, I'm thankful for elders, uh, but I came here today hoping for something more practical, relevant to my life, to my week. And so before you tune out for the next 30 minutes, I would just like to uh, give you a reason to stay plugged in, uh, believing that God has something that's significant here. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that God does not, in His Word, bind Himself to the things that we think matter most, things that that we think would be most helpful. Uh, God reserves the right in his word to address things that matter most to him. And uh, one of the reasons that we have uh, here these words in 1 Peter chapter 5 is because the church matters to God. It matters profoundly to God. Nothing matters more to God on this planet, or you could say in the universe, besides his own glory, than the church itself. So this is a word um, about the church. The church was on the mind of God before the foundations of the world were laid. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. The church is the apple of his eye. The church is what God is sovereignly at work. All the affairs of of, uh, world history are designed to this end to build up the church of Jesus Christ. The the church is incredible. 
Uh, the church is what has received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that uh, of the church alone in all the world, you see, the church is the only institution that can actually say that we are indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. The church is utterly, absolutely unique. Nothing matters to God more than the church. And the reason, of course, is because he has attached his own glory and his name to you. God has attached his honor to you. Let me ask you, if you had a significant amount of money and you invested all of your uh, material resources into one company so that, that your future happiness, your future security, all depended on how this one company did, I think you would be quite interested in that company. I think you'd be very interested in the leadership of that company. You'd want to know what the CEO, who he was, and, and sort of what his passions were, what drove him, what was his philosophy for, for carrying out his business, because you've invested everything in it. Think of what God has invested in the church of Jesus Christ. He's invested his glory. He's invested his honor. He's invested the lifeblood of his own son. He's, he, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so God is extremely interested in the church and in its leadership, and therefore we should be as well. Elders, the, the idea of elders should matter to us, not just because they matter to God, but they should matter to us, secondly, because these are people that God has given to the church to care for your very own soul. Uh, they exist as instruments in God's hand for your eternal well-being. We, uh, we tend to honor our, our doctor, our physician, our surgeon, the, the one who watches over our temporal body, the one who, who fixes things uh, when, when, when they go wrong, the one who, who leads us and helps us through uh, times of illness or disease of some sort. Well, how much more should we care about those who do all of those things for our eternal soul, for those who care for our eternal well-being? Because that's what elders do. Pastors, and, and when, when Peter is talking here about elders, he's talking about those who teach and rule. So we would say teaching elders and ruling elders. God has given uh, these men to the church to be spiritual physicians, to be people who feed the flock and comfort you and restore you when you fall into sin, who remind you of the grace of God, who warn you when you maybe are being tempted um, by a false teaching, or who uh, warn you when you're being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. These are men who step into your life, usually not because you've called them, right, the way you call your doctor, but usually uninvited in some sense, but who, have the, who love you enough to step into your life to minister to your soul. It's an amazing gift that God has given, and we should honor those that God has provided to help us live eternally. And so this morning, we're going to look at this office, we're going to look at the ministry itself, the mandate, the manner, and then the motivation, and you have an outline to help you follow along. As I was studying this text this week, something I noticed something that I had not noticed before, and that is the importance of the very first word in chapter 5, this little word, so. It, it tells us that Paul isn't starting a new train of thought in chapter 5. It might look like it. All of a sudden, here we have these four verses about elders. Well, where did that come from? Well, so uh, it tells us that it comes 
this, this text flows directly and logically from 4 verse 19. So if you have your Bible, uh, look at what Paul's been speaking about. He's been talking about suffering as a Christian, verse 12 and following. In 19, the most immediate verse here, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, Peter's been talking about the necessity of suffering, that suffering is part of the Christian life. In fact, it's a necessary part. Uh, we, uh, we get to, it, it's, it's the path to glory. It goes through suffering for every, every Christian in one way or another. But when Peter thinks specifically about suffering according to God's will and entrusting their soul to a faithful creator while doing good, his mind moves directly from that to elders. In his mind, the experience of suffering for Christ's sake while doing good is directly, it just, he just goes then to thinking about the leaders of the church. It's like a word association game. If, right, when someone says, I'm going to just throw you a word and, and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. So if I say water, what, what comes to your mind? Some of you think the beach. Some of you think a, a cool glass of, uh, of, of drinking water. So you, you might think of rain. I tend to think of fishing. Whatever it is, uh, the word association game just... Well, when Peter thinks about suffering and doing good while suffering according to God's will... It's amazing, isn't it, that his mind goes, elders. Why would that be? Well, because the office of leadership in the church is, is in a unique way, a, a ministry of suffering. Uh, we tend to think of, of leadership in the church um, far too much in the categories of, of leadership in the world. So when we think about leadership in the world, either political leadership or business leadership, we think of men who uh, have positions of power. Uh, they are the guys that get to call the shots. They're the guys that set the agenda. They're the guys that get the perks, the privileges. Uh, they, get the, they have the influence and often the affluence. They get rich doing this. Well, too often the people in the church sort of have these connotations, and that can be leadership as well as, as, uh, as the lay people, that, that leadership in the church isn't exactly like that, but it sort of flows along the same lines. Well, well Peter says, no, leadership in the church is, it comes with suffering. It comes with doing good while suffering for Christ's sake, and that suffering happens without and from without and from within. Uh, remember, he's writing to people that are going to, the church is coming under persecution. And when the officials come and threaten the church or seek to snuff out the church, where are they going to go first? Well, they're first going to go to the pastor and the elders. They're going to go to the leadership. And so as, as men are being called into this office and being ordained into this office, they're being ordained into something that's somewhat, maybe you could think of the military. These are going to be the guys in the front line. These are going to be the, the focus of the, uh, the uh, opposition's um, concern. They're going to, these men are going to be, um, some of them are going to be beaten. Some of them are going to um, be thrown into prison. Some of them will lose their life. And if you, if you read the story of the church being persecuted throughout the ages, you know how often that is exactly what happens. I think today of, of churches around the world um, that are being persecuted and, and the particular price the leaders of those churches are paying 
um, because of their leadership in the church of Jesus Christ. And so Peter undoubtedly is, is thinking about the suffering that comes from without. But there's also, there are unique sorrows that belong to the office that come from within. Let me just list some of these for you. After um, 20-some years of, of pastoring and, and uh, working with, with elders, um, People sometimes ask, you know, I can't imagine doing that job. And sometimes I think I can't imagine doing it either. Um, there, are unique, um, there are unique sorrows to it. But one thing I, I've, I've told people so many times is that the, the greatest grief uh, in my experience in 20 years of ministry has, has been from my own life. That, that being called to be a leader of God's people and then seeing the reality of your own failures, your own sin your own shortcomings. Uh, I think often what Solomon said, who is equal to such a task? And here's a guy that that's, has wisdom galore. A man who had a great heart for God at the beginning. And so the, I think every elder would say, every pastor would say, that the, the, the greatest griefs, uh, we shed more tears over our own shortcomings, our own failures than, than, than for any other cause. But there's also other griefs. There's the grief of seeing a church fall into division or sin or led astray by false teaching. You find Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.4 saying, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. As he saw these people he loved, this, this church in Corinth being beset by division and sin and false teaching. He writes to the churches in Galatia in Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. There's, there are perplexing things and things that will, will um, fill a heart with affliction and anguish. And I've sat with elders around the table in the session room and we've wept because of things that have happened and uh, the sorrow that have come to people because of sin or false teaching. There's the sorrow of people just walking away, seeking greener pastures. And so those who want to be in the ministry of eldership and leadership need to know it's a ministry of suffering. It's a ministry of suffering. But it's, it's not hard to understand. It's like parenting, isn't it? If you, um, if you, if you never want to um, suffer relationally, or you want to avoid as much of that as possible, don't have children. Because um, it's not because children are a burden. They're a blessing. They're an unbelievable blessing. But you see, it's precisely because you love them so much. It's precisely because you desire so deeply. You can't help it. You desire to see them flourish. Uh, You you cannot be sort of um, laissez-faire about their well-being. It matters to you profoundly how they do physically, how they do spiritually most importantly. There's, there's almost no grief in the world like the grief of a, of a godly parent who is watching a, 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 their child wander off into sin, have no concern for the things of God. It, it, it is absolutely heartbreaking. Well, it's, it's heartbreaking, you see, because you're a parent and you can't resign from it. This is your child, and you love them. And so suffering goes along with the calling of parenting, and it goes along with the calling of leadership. 
Well, what does doing good while suffering look like? Peter goes on and tells us what he has in mind, the mandate, secondly, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock, exercise oversight. God has has determined that the church, if it's going to flourish, needs leadership. This is not something that men have thought up. We find way back in the Old Testament, God has Moses as a leader, and then other men come along to help him in leadership. We have the, the elders of Israel throughout the Old Testament. In the New Testament, when Paul plants a church, what does he do? He goes and he, he appoints elders for every local church to lead that church. God has created us, right, to, to need leadership, spiritual leadership, spiritual oversight. It's the same as a family. We all know that the, the damage, the harm that comes when children don't have um, a father in the home. And it's through no fault of their own, children tend to struggle in variety of ways. No matter what the reason might be for the absence, statistics reveal that there's a, there's a significant impact of fatherless homes. And the same is true for fatherless congregations. Where, where there's not real spiritual leadership being exercised, either because of ignorance or either because um, apathy, whatever the reason might be, where, where you just don't have men who are willing to take stands, who are willing to engage lovingly in the body, and where you have, where you have no spiritual leadership, congregations are going to flounder. They're going to to drift along, unguided, unguarded from false teaching, unequipped for the battle at hand. You're just going to lose the tenor of the church. Well, this is God's church. He's serious about leadership. And what are these leaders, what are they called to do? Well, Peter tells us they're, they're called to shepherd, which is primarily a matter of making sure the sheep are being fed and cared for. Not rocket science. I grew up on a farm. Most of the work on the farm was taking care of the animals, uh, providing food for the animals, making sure that they were provided for. And that's, that's the idea of shepherding. The goal is to make sure that the, feet, that the sheep are being fed and being fed in a way that's actually nourishing their soul. Not being fed according just to what they like. Um, I remember on the farm, the, the cows, um, when we would put silage up uh, in these big silos, um, and sometimes the, it was, the corn was a little bit wet yet, and you would have pools of um, basically corn beer at the bottom of the uh, silo. And the cows loved it. They'd lick that stuff up, and I'm, I, you know, I have not been able to interview the cow, but I'm sure I saw a drunk cow, because <laughs> it was fermented beer juice there all around, uh, you know, corn beer at the bottom, at the bottom of the, at the bottom of the silo. Well, it, they like it, but it's not good for them. There are things that the people in the church like to hear. We're just people. We like to hear things that we think um, meet our felt needs. We all do. Give me, give me seven tips on parenting. Give me five uh, um, principles for financial uh, stewardship and rewards. Help me understand how to have a better marriage. All about that. But you see, that, that might gather folk, but it doesn't really pro- produce productive sheep. It doesn't really equip and guard and make healthy 
sheep. So, so what food do the sheep need to receive? Well, the answer, of course, is they need to receive the food of Jesus Christ himself. That's, that's the bread from heaven. We need, we all need a steady diet of Jesus Christ, week after week after week. Jesus as he's revealed in Scripture. Jesus prophesied by the, by the prophets of old. Jesus incarnate in the womb of Mary. Jesus living in a, a God-honoring, obedient life. Uh, Jesus dying and atoning death. Jesus being raised again victorious on the third day. Jesus ascended at the right hand of God. Jesus now reigning, interceding for the church. Jesus coming again. We just can't get enough of that message. Why? Because that's our food. That's the food. Peter, Paul writes in Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Colossians 2.2, In Him all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to hear about Jesus. One of the, I think the, the, cause, the greatest cause of the weakness of the American church is rooted simply in the failure of shepherds to adequately feed God's sheep. It's, it's endemic, epidemic. There are pastors who feed their sheep moral lessons in order to try to make them be good. There are, there are pastors who feed their sheep a, a steady diet of the law in order to make them feel bad. There are some who preach doctrine as though there is life in the doctrine itself. There are some who use Jesus to preach a political or social agenda. Now, the gospel addresses all of life, and we've got to preach the whole counsel of God. But the whole counsel of God centers on one theme, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim. That is what we preach. That's the food God's sheep so desperately need to hear. That's able to nourish their soul. That's able to make them wise unto salvation. That is able to make them stand in the day of trouble. That is able to cure their diseases. That's able to give them hope. It's able to build them up into the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's just preaching the truth about Jesus Christ as he's revealed in his word. And you see, and the beauty of that is the wonder of preaching Jesus Christ is that it is Christ himself by his word and spirit who feeds his sheep. It is Jesus, you see, Jesus feeds you himself. A shepherd, when he would lead the sheep out, he would not go and create food for the sheep. He just leads them to the source. He just takes them to the pasture. And they feed there. And so, in a sense, the pastor's job is not to create these wonderful nuggets of food for you. The pastor's job is simply to lead you to where the nuggets are. And that Jesus Christ himself, in all of his glory, is present when his word is proclaimed. Jesus promises to be present in his saving word. And that this, you see, his word, as it is proclaimed, is Christ's food, where he offers himself to you in all of his saving power as you feed on him 
in his word. There's something that, that goes on when the word of God is opened and Christ is proclaimed from the scriptures. That's un- utterly unlike anything else in the entire world. This is not just a man up front giving you some pearls of spiritual wisdom or understanding. If that is all it is, then just go home. Jesus promises to feed his sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. And he does that through his, his under-shepherds. As we open the word of God, Christ promises to feed you. Isn't that beautiful? And, and, and God's people testify to the truth of that. That it is the food of the word, the food of Jesus Christ, week after week, that sustains us, that nourishes us, that equips us, that convicts us. It, all the power, you see, is as Christ himself is presented in his word. So shepherd the sheep, feed the sheep, and then exercising oversight. It's just, just keep, pay attention. Guard the flock. Because you see, the, if the church is the apple of God's eye, the church is the, the greatest um, enemy of the devil. He, he's got a, he hates the church like he hates God himself. And he'll do anything and everything to weaken the church, to cripple the church, to, to destroy the church. In some countries, he uses persecution. In this country, he's used worldliness, affluence, the culture, just screaming into our ears through our televisions, through our radio, through the books we read, the lies that are told, the false teachers that rise up and and people flock to hear them because it sounds new and it sounds relevant. It's exciting. That's how it happens in America. And Peter calls elders to gird up our loins and to exercise oversight in love. Paul, remember, wrote it to the, he spoke to the elders of Ephesus and met them in Miletus last time he would see them. His last words to them was, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, because I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. And you see it happen over and over and over again. Men rising up, speaking twisted things. It's not diametrically opposed to the gospel. It's just, it's just a half turn. It's Jesus plus something else. And they draw away disciples. Paul and Peter both say, we've got to be on our guard. And then we also, to exercise oversight, means we need to go and, and find those who are strained and bind up the wounds of those who are hurting, giving aid to those who are weak. Uh, there's an incredible text in Ezekiel chapter 34 where God rebukes harshly the shepherds of Israel because all they really cared about were themselves. And there were God's sheep scattered over every hill, and they did not go out and search for them. They didn't go out and bring them back. They weren't out looking for sheep. True shepherds, you see, have a burden for God's sheep. Both those who are inside the pen and those who are outside, those who are wandering, and those who maybe have never come in yet. We need to have the heart of Christ as those who are under shepherds. Peter speaks about the manner. How do we do this? Well, not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, and not domineering. Three knots, and then all with how it ought to be done. Not under compulsion, but willingly. Have you ever asked a child to do something 
honey, I need you to go do this. Will you do this? Please do that. And, and everything about their body says, no, I don't want to do it, even though they might be doing it, right? They shuffle off, their feet are dragging, their face is long, their shoulders droop. Would you go please help your sister? Right? Just collapse. Now, does that honor you? Are you pleased with that obedience? Are you, do, you, do you want to run over there and say, awesome job? No. You want to apply some loving correction. Why? Well, because there's, there's nothing about that that honors you. There's nothing about that that's real obedience. God loves a cheerful giver and he loves cheerful servants. You see, when we... Uh, you know, when, when we come and we try to serve God with that attitude in our heart and he knows, that doesn't, that doesn't honor him. Oh, I guess we better go to church. I guess we better try to give something, right, in the offering. It's going to look foolish if we just week after week, deacons probably know. I guess we ought to sign up for this. I guess, um, you know, everybody's got to do their tour of duty uh, in, the, you know, in, the, in the army. And the church is kind of like, I've heard elders say this, uh, you know, I've been asked to serve as an elder. I really don't want to. I, I don't want to. But it's only three years. I guess, right? Take one for the team, whatever. See, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. In fact, when we're, when we're interviewing elders and we ask them, um, you know, do you feel called to this? And they say, well, you know, somebody's got to do it. Um, that's a pretty good sign that that somebody probably isn't them. Because um, to desire the office is a good thing. God wants, he wants eager, willing servants. That doesn't mean every day you're willing. There's days I don't feel like being a pastor. But that means, that's a day you see to confess not a day to pat myself on the back for hanging in there and just gutting it out. That's a day to confess, to repent. He, God does not want uh, servants with their shoulders drooping. That, that does not honor him. He wants willing servants, and not doing it for shameful gain, but doing it eagerly. Well, eager for what? Eager for session meetings? I mean, Seriously. Guys who are eager for session meetings, you just kind of wonder. <clears throat> they're just wired differently, right? Eager to, eager, eager to engage people when people don't want to be engaged. Eager to, to have to, to go through the process of discipline. Eager for what? Well, eager for the glory of God. Eager for God's people to be blessed. Eager for God's sheep to flourish. In the back of your outline, there's a prayer from the Valley of Vision called God's Cause that I think just absolutely captures what an elder's prayer ought to be. This is from the section of Valley of Vision that is addressed specifically to leaders in the church. And so I'm, this is an elder's prayer. This would be good for all leaders in the church to pray, whatever your place is. Whether you're a Sunday school teacher, whether you're leading a small group, um, it doesn't matter what you're doing. This is a prayer for servants in the church. Sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart. And I appeal to thee with greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. 
Glorify thyself, and I shall rejoice, for to bring honor to thy name is my sole desire. I adore thee that thou art God, and long that others should know it, feel it, and rejoice in it. Oh, that all men might love and praise thee, that thou mightest have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to thee for thy dear name. Lord, use me as thou wilt, but oh, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. Oh, do thou bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitude of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor to the utmost of my strength, spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is thy cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. O answer thou my request. That will make for an exciting session meeting. That'll change the way we do everything we do as elders and everything we do in, in, in no matter what you're doing in, in the church, in a leadership position. That, that this, is, this is about the cause of Jesus Christ. This is about um, advancing against the enemy. This is about seeing God's purposes prevail. This is about seeing the church thrive and grow and God get all the glory and honor because of it. Isn't that beautiful? That, that, that'll, that'll excite you. That'll motivate you. Not domineering thirdly, but being examples. It's a great temptation to abuse the position. Um, we can easily see, and I've, I've heard, I, I, I have committed this sin in my own heart. We can easily um, have a, an idea of where the church ought to go, what the church ought to do, and then, and then you run into sheep. Sheep who right, don't understand. Sheep who are obstacles to the grand vision, to the great idea. And we've got to keep reminding ourselves, in whatever leadership position you're in, the sheep aren't the obstacles. They're the point. They're, they're God's children, and we're to, be, we're to be nurturing them. It's the same in parenting, right? You've got these great parenting, this great parenting agenda, but you keep running into kids. Well, no, no. You're there to help these kids grow to God's end. And so we're not domineering but by being examples. Examples of what? Because too often people assume that uh, elders would be examples of success, of, of men who've arrived. Spiritual success stories. But you, I, don't, I don't see that in Scripture. Examples, uh, I think an elder should be men who know Jesus. They're, they're examples of that. Men who get the gospel. Men who trust in the power of Christ to do what we can't do. Men who live in the grace of Christ and freely share it with others. You see, there's a reason God did not send angels to pastor his flock. They know so much more. They're never weighed down by their own weakness, their own misunderstanding, their, their sin, ever. Just think about what it would be like to receive a sermon from, a, from an angel from the right hand of God. So why, doesn't, why wouldn't the Lord do that? He could. Because angels don't understand grace. They've never experienced grace. They marvel at it. They worship God because of it. But you see, an angel can't come alongside of you in your sin, in your struggle, in your failure, in your unbelief. An angel cannot come alongside of you and say, listen, I know, I've been there. 
But let me show you what helped me. What, let, me let me tell you about what led me out. Let me, let me show you the rock that I found to stand on. I promise you God is faithful. You see, elders are, are not moral success stories. Paul was an apostle, and he's still identified as the chief of sinners. Elders are men who know their weakness and are able to admit it and, and willing to lean in on grace. Humble enough to acknowledge that they don't have it all together, but they're finding that Jesus and his grace are sufficient, that his truth is, is, is faithful. These are men then who love Jesus because of his love for them and, and who love the things that Jesus loves, including his church. And they have their hearts set on eternal things. I'm so thankful that we have elders here in this church who completely get this, who completely get this. It's an unbelievable blessing. Let's wrap up. Peter ends with a reward, the motivation. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Just two things. One, there is a chief shepherd. If you despair because of your shepherds, and, and we give you reasons to do that, I know we do. Sometimes you wonder, what was he thinking? What are they doing? I understand that. Um, we're just under shepherds. But there's a chief shepherd. And he's the head of this church. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And you can trust him. You can lean on him. You can pray to him. We desperately need you to pray to him to help us to be a true church, a growing church in the things of God, a fruit-bearing church for the glory of God. There's a chief shepherd. And we can trust him. We can follow him. He's our righteousness. He's our advocate. He's our help. He's our peace. And he's coming again. He's coming again. I had an awful experience last week. And I feel for this brother. I, don't think he's, I just don't think he's been trained. We went to a small church, and, and this brother had, apparently had a rough week. But anyhow, his, the basic theme of his message is no one's coming for you. It's up to you. No one's coming for you. What an awful thing to say to God's people. Someone's coming for us. Someone's coming for us. His name is Jesus. We are not left as orphans. And Peter just calls all of us, and particularly elders, leaders, to live for that. When he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That we don't labor for the praise of men. If it comes at all, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow. But we can work for the approval of our Father. We can work for the applause of heaven. Because there's a glory there that's unfading. Just imagine what it's going to be like. And this is for every believer. This is not just for leaders. Every believer who, who endures in faith, the Bible promises, is going to receive glory and honor. Something that we've tasted almost, <laughs> we don't know what that tastes like. Not glory and honor as it really is from, from God himself. And yet that's exactly what the Bible promises. Glory and honor to you, for you. A crown of glory from the hand of Jesus on that last day. And you know what, you know what we'll do with those crowns of, of glory? We're not going to take them and turn them and, 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 and marvel and maybe see who has the biggest ones. In Revelation chapter 4, you read what they do. The, the, the 24 elders bowed down and they cast their crowns before the Lamb. Worthy are you. Worthy are you. Because anything that we accomplish is by his strength. Anything that we accomplish is, 
because of his grace, his faithfulness, and all the glory goes to him. And yet, what a thing to live for. Wouldn't it be, don't you want to be in that number on that day? Because that day is coming, friends. That day is coming. Don't kid yourself. It is coming. Christ is returning. Don't you want to hear on that day, well done, good and faithful servant, all by his grace, all by his power, and then to fall down and worship him forever. That's where we're headed. May God give us the strength to endure. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he loves us. I thank you that he knows us by name. I thank you that he's called us out of darkness to be his sheep. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your wisdom you've given the church under shepherds. I thank you for the men that you've called to serve here at Harvest Church. I thank you for their love for Christ. I thank you for their understanding of grace. I thank you for their love for the people of the church their willingness to work long and hard, to guard, to protect, to nourish. Father, I pray that you would help us as elders to grow continually in these things. I pray for every, Lord, leader in the church here who ministers in a ministry of caring for the flock in one way or the other. Even those who teach the kindergarten Sunday, Sunday school class small group leaders, Bible study leaders, those who are involved in diaconal ministries. Father, I pray that we would take these things to heart and that as a church, Lord, we would see your blessing ever increasingly upon us. We thank you that we can look to Jesus, we can trust in him, and we thank you that the day is coming when we will see him face to face. Lord, don't let us grow weary in well-doing, but Lord, may we, even as we suffer, continue to do good. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.